After you've walked down the aisle and you pledged your lives to each other as a new husband or wife, there are five words that you never ever expect to hear for the rest of your life. And those words are, I don't love you anymore. Well, this is Focus on the Family with Focus President Jim Daly. Perhaps you've heard those words recently, and if so, I do hope you'll stay with us. We're going to talk about how to respond and also cover the steps you can take to save your marriage. I'm John Fuller, and we're also joined by Dr. Julie Slattery. John, we correspond with hundreds of thousands of people every year, people writing us, emailing us, calling us, and the counseling department and others bring that information together anonymously, and they provide us the themes that people are struggling with in the area of marriage or parenting. But in the area of marriage particularly, when we look at infidelity and uh, other marital difficulties where people simply say, we don't like each other anymore, so we're getting a divorce, that grieves my heart. Mm. And today we want to tackle the tough issues in marriage and encourage people to confront their sin and to really move beyond that so they can have a blessed union. Mm. And Jim, this is a very difficult topic to talk about. First of all, because it gets at the heart of so much pain in families, but also because every situation is different. Mm. There's no cookie cutter answer, but God's truth, his word does have principles that everyone can apply to their situation. And what we hope to do today is to highlight what the principles of God's truth are so that you can walk through the situation that you're in the middle of. Now today, uh, marriage and family therapist, Dr. David Clark is with us to kind of unpack this subject. Uh, He's written the book called What to Do When Your Spouse Says, I Don't Love You Anymore. He's also written the book, I Don't Want a Divorce. So he's very well versed on this topic, and he's a licensed psychologist. Uh, He has a master in biblical studies from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's a popular seminar speaker. He's been here before, and uh, we're glad to have you with us, Dr. Clark. John, my pleasure to be here. Dr. Clark, uh, when you look at the difficulty in marriage today in this modern culture, it would seem that marriage is under tremendous pressure and even an epidemic of divorces occurring, not just in the general population, but even in the church. What's happening? Satan is at work and Satan is winning and Christians are getting divorced. Now it's become a throwaway item. It's like your refrigerator breaks, you don't fix it. Your microwave goes, uh, buy a new one. And so people have no good biblical reason to divorce, but they do. Hmm. And David, a lot of Christians don't really know the foundation of why divorce is a problem for God to begin with. So let's just start there and talk about God's view of divorce. Well, I think it's clear. You look at Malachi, God says, I hate divorce. That should pretty much settle the issue. But then we have have in the New Testament, it's clear as a bell, of course, it's just spelled out that marriage is the very picture of Christ's relationship with the church. This is a sacred relationship, not to be broken really under any circumstances other than it better be cataclysmic circumstances. And there's a few biblical um, reasons, but 95% of the folks in my office have nothing close to that. Mm -hmm. They just are tired and culture is pushing them and maybe they've already found somebody else they like better, it's time to move on. This is now acceptable in the church, by and large. Oh, we're sad about it, but we're not doing anything about it. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to address it here, uh, to help equip people to make better decisions. Uh, David, set the stage for us. Uh, One spouse goes to the other and says, I don't love you anymore. I mean, those are devastating words. Um, What are some of the reasons uh, behind that statement? I would say in a word, sin. Anyone that will say that is is typically, now not all the time, but almost all the time, in some kind of serious sin. Now, it's a secret sin. Mm 
They almost have always found someone else. There's pornography. There is um, some kind of addiction going on. And they have drifted from the Lord. Now, that's a given. They've certainly drifted from the Lord to, to make that kind of a statement. And unless you say that, and you're also going to say, and I can tell you why, and I want to work on this marriage right now. They don't say that almost all the time. They say it, and when they say it, they're done. Mm -hmm. So there's something going on um, in that person's life. It's sin. They're drifting. And in my experience, almost always, they're through. They're not confused. They're not wondering about what's going on. They have already decided to leave. So the person hearing that needs to understand that. David, you mentioned that there's almost always sin involved. Could it also be that we don't understand the definition of love, that you will go through seasons where you don't feel love for your spouse anymore? But as you're saying, it's a choice to say, I'm choosing to turn my back. I'm tired of working on things. And sometimes it really just comes from absolute fatigue of battling difficult things and people just don't know where to get the strength anymore. Yeah, very common. I see a lot of that, as you do too, Julie. Couples who grew up in a home where they were not taught how to love. They don't have the basic, the most basic of tools. So we have to teach them that. And so it, it's encouraging them to hear, if that's the case, I, I just don't know what I'm doing. And so the love has run out. Well, I can teach you with the Lord's help and the Bible, principles I've learned through counseling and experience in my own marriage. I can teach you how to do it. And it will come back, and it will come back stronger and better than it ever was before. Hmm. Dr. Clark, uh, for the spouse that's hearing that statement, uh, is there the ability to rationalize with the spouse that's made this threat or this statement, I don't love you, I'm leaving? It's probably the first attempt that the spouse that hears it is going to make. How can I reason with my husband? Right, and there's a lot of confusion and shock and denial that happens right away. So it may take several hours or several days to kind of get your feet under you. But there need to be some very serious conversations concerning that what's behind that statement. And you need to ask, is there someone else? You need to ask, is there any hidden sin in your life? You need to ask, you know, are you saying that you don't want to work on this marriage at all? So clarifying that's very important. Now, once you know, they're not interested. And you can find that out through a series of simple questions and kind of the vibe. Well, then, then you can go into a tough love stance if you need to. You make the comment in your book uh, that typically when a spouse makes this statement, there is sin in the camp, and typically it's an affair. Why do you connect the dots that way? Just experience. 25 years of working with people, 85 to 90% of the time they have found someone else. If not a full-blown affair, they have targeted someone. And Satan is so helpful in this regard. He has brought someone into their life, at their work, in the neighborhood. Uh, it could be anyone. Um, Facebook is not doing us any favors. All these, gosh, I knew Timmy back in uh, junior high. Who cares? 85 to 90% of the time they've got someone else or they're thinking about it because their heart now is turned off to you. That's what they're saying when they say, I don't love you. I, I, they're not kidding. I don't love you. And in that context, what need is being met in the person who's wavering in the marriage? What are they receiving from that other person typically that they're maybe not receiving in their marriage? Intimacy. Now, it's pseudo-intimacy. It is nothing like the real thing, but they think it is. But it feels so good. I've had many women come into my office and say that God brought this person into my life. Um, he knows my needs. He knows how lonely I was in marriage. Uh, this is okay. We even read the Bible together. So people can be very deceived in terms of what's going on here. Have you seen that kind of oh, dynamic? Yeah, all the time. You know, don't, and, and I'll say, you've got to be kidding. I'm pretty aggressive as a therapist in those cases. If I could throw a pillow at the person, I would. But, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? 
And these are Christian people. Mm. That's what we're talking about here. No, I say you're totally and utterly fooled. There was nowhere in the Bible that we can see any justification for this kind of relation. In fact, just the opposite. So I'll grant you that you're having these feelings now. But if you were foolish enough to continue down this path, you will lose everything and Satan will be laughing the loudest. You will lose your marriage. You'll lose the respect of your children. You will lose the integrity uh, in the Christian community. And your new relationship will be a disaster. Those are the worst marriages I ever see. People that get together <clears throat> as a result of an affair. Disaster. Consequences. Why of is that? Well, just because you've broken God's law, it's a very serious one. He takes that seriously. But I tell couples, just the weight of the sin of what you've done, particularly if you're a Christian, and they're not counting the cost, do you think for a moment that your kids are going to respect this new person that you're with? They know, because they're going to know, because the mom's going to tell them, that this new woman in your life, sir, is, is the one that broke up your family, broke your mother's heart. Are they going to accept that person? No. David, you've referenced this a couple of times. I think it's important for us, although we recognize the importance of the vocation of uh, psychology. Underpinning all that has to be a scriptural basis. Uh, talk to us about how we tie the scriptural truth to these uh, situations. What scriptures jump out at you? What do you use in your clinical setting to uh, awaken the heart of the Christian who is in this situation? I go to Genesis 2.24, and I'll read this to people, actually, in the session. It talks about the one flesh relationship. This is an absolute unity, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, not to be broken. You can go to Ephesians 5, the wonderful marriage passage, where the husband, if I have a husband who's straying, you know, to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you can't get any more serious or committed than that. You are violating that, sir. We, we, and, and from the wife's point of view, you're to, you're to respect your husband. This is the antithesis of disrespect. We go to Malachi, uh, where God actually says, I hate the man who betrays the wife of his youth. Mm. Not the sin, the person. This is as serious as it gets. So while God will call that person back, if you truly know Jesus and you've sinned seriously, if you will repent, that's all God asks. But the consequences don't go away. First um, mm. Peter 3.7, how the husband's to treat his wife with the utmost of gentleness and respect and care. These are when you violate these sacred verses, you're in for a lot of trouble. Mm. David, this is a time in a marriage that requires a very clear head and, and strength to be able to confront sin and set the right kind of boundaries. But in reality, the man or, or woman who has just heard, "I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. There's someone else." You don't have a clear head there. Uh, your world has been turned upside down. How do you start to work through those feelings so that you can make good decisions? Let's say it's a woman, uh, and it could be a man too, but the, whoever the person is, I've got to get them angry, and I've got to get them angry fast. Anger is a normal, healthy reaction to a traumatic event. Now, they're not going to get there right away, but if I can speed that process up, I'm a master at getting people angry. It's like a <laughs> gift. What can I tell you? And I will start having them visualize the worst possible things about their spouse, and if there's someone else, visualize those activities. Why, and, as you give that advice, a lot of people are shaking their heads like, that doesn't sound like very Christian advice. Why would you want to make someone angry at their spouse? Because if you don't get angry, number one, you're going to become critically depressed. You will not have the motivation to do the tough love that Scripture teaches us to do. You won't forgive your spouse. People don't seem to realize that. Because as Christians, we're very leery around anger. Well, God gets angry. Jesus gets angry. Paul gets angry. Be angry and yet do not sin, the Bible says in Ephesians 4. There are times for healthy, righteous anger. And that's what I'm talking about here. And if your spouse is in serious sin, that's one of those times. Now, it's a temporary phase. Scripture's clear. It is not to characterize our lives. But if we get angry 
and that motivates the sinning spouse, shakes them up, which it can do, motivates them to change and gets you in a process of forgiveness and strength because they've shattered your life. If you sit around very sad and depressed, you will be devastated even more. And I've had ladies who I couldn't get angry. They just, they, they kept being codependent and enabling and crying and they were taken for everything in the divorce and their own kids were turned against them. This happens more often than people think because kids, they will side with the strong looking person and it happens to be the sinner, then that's what they'll do. We don't want that. We want the person who's been the victim of this crime, who's done nothing wrong, at least in terms of serious sin outside the marriage, to stand up and be mad. That can be a tremendous asset. Now, you move through that. If the person doesn't change, you will go through the anger, you'll go through depression, and you'll be able to forgive and move on. But if you don't get the anger stage, then you get stuck. Uh, David, one aspect of this, uh, I would think, a person who is hearing this from their spouse may look inward first. Uh, the log in their own eye. They may, uh, from your perspective, misapply. Is that a misapplication for the offended spouse to say, what have I done to cause this, and to begin to look in their own heart? Is that a, a rational place to go? Not initially. I'll tell you why. Uh, maritally speaking, I'll tell them, you know, yes, you are certainly half the problem in the marriage relationship. Sin apart, it takes two people to gum a marriage up. But when your partner sins in a serious way, you have nothing to do with that. I'm very tough on people that think that you, if I played a part in my wife Sandy's affair, what do you, I did not. I didn't know anything about it. That's her issue. Now she's got to be made to answer for that. And then as she repents and we heal from the trauma first, second phase, oh yeah, then I'll take my turn. I wasn't meeting her needs, but that in my mind is a secondary issue. Because the person does not fully face their sin if, they'll, if someone else will take even a little bit of the responsibility. How dare you tell me that I'm, I'm at fault for what you did? Now, if I sin outside my marriage, that's my fault, 100% my fault. I'm going to have to deal with that first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would think, uh, you know, particularly in that scenario that you've painted where it's uh, the man that's done something, uh, perhaps an affair, uh, the man can rationalize it. Well, you weren't meeting my physical needs and put some of the blame on the spouse, even if that were true. Uh, Julie, there are different approaches uh, when we counsel in the Christian context in this regard. Uh, how do you approach this? Well, I think each situation is different. Um, having an affair, being unfaithful sexually in marriage is a serious, serious sin. And uh, God sees all sins the same in terms of where we are under Christ, but that is a sin that breaks the marriage covenant. But I think along with that, there's so much nuance in terms of what can lead up to that, not in every situation. Uh, but Jim, let me just give you an example. Uh, a woman is unhappy with her husband for 15, 20 years, and she consistently criticizes him and tears him down and withholds intimacy from him, um, criticizes him in front of the kids. He endures that and has an affair, gets involved in pornography. Does that excuse what he's done? No, but there is a dance that's going on there. And I guess the only area of concern would be we don't want to just say, because you did this one thing, you're 100% the one at fault. I take no responsibility for where we are. And scripture does tell us that before we confront someone, we have to, before the Lord, examine our own hearts. We're not in a place to confront anyone, including our spouse, until we have allowed the Lord to examine our hearts. Mm -hmm. And how that plays out in terms of the confrontation, the conversation that follows, that's where we really need wisdom and discernment. Mm. Uh, Dr. Clark, that, that description that you paint, it's almost like a triage moment uh, where the person is expressing this. And perhaps in your experience, uh, you haven't seen the time 
for that self-reflection to occur because all of a sudden you're in the ICU, the emergency room, and you're trying to deal with this marriage. Uh, with what Julie said, how do you react to that? Well, I think we're, we may be close to being on the same page. It's just a matter of phases, in my opinion. First phase, if there's a serious thing like that, no matter what the context, that has to be handled first. And so it could be a very, very quick self-reflection. I didn't know about this affair. I had no idea. Therefore, it's your fault. Well, I, I go with that. Now, that's a phase. If the person responds and there's true repentance and we heal from that traumatic episode two, three, four months in, then they begin to come together. Then you can begin to segue into the second phase. And in this case, yeah, the woman has to take her turn. No question about it. Meritally, she is at fault, you know, for being very unaffectionate and, and critical and, and not meeting needs. But I separate the sin of the man completely because there's no excuse in Scripture, of course, as Julie said, for if my wife is the worst wife in the world, it's a complete witch, treats me horribly, even is abusive to me, I have no excuse for having an affair. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's, I just center on that because it's neater and cleaner. And then we segue into the marriage stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, just one thing I think from a woman's perspective, and I probably work with more women than men, uh, guys tend to, even when we look at scripture, they tend to fall into the big sins more. They're more vulnerable to sexual temptation. They're more vulnerable to anger. Women have these hidden sins, and I see this so much where we feel entitled to be bitter, to be hostile, to be self-righteous. Um, so I guess that's part of where I'm coming from in terms of we have to take all sins seriously. David, as I hear the two of you talk, you and Julie, it sounds to me like at the core, the fundamental issue is really no one's meeting anybody's needs in this marriage. And there's something at the core terribly wrong. Could you address that? What is happening that could have been done months or years before so that that affection, that emotional attachment, all those things would be in a healthy place? What does it look like to be healthy? I'll often tell a couple because the, the perpetrator will often say, well, yeah, but the marriage wasn't good. And I'll say, and then we'll talk about, I say, we'll talk about that briefly here. And I say, you're exactly right. I acknowledge that. This is not the time to deal with that. We will get there. We have to heal from your sin. You've got to repent. And then we can move together into all the sins from both of your sides of the table. And that's good, solid marriage work. And that means you are not connecting spiritually, which is vitally important for every couple. You are not connecting emotionally. There was no time. There were no connections. Possibly the kids were too important. You were not connecting in a physical way of a couple not having regular sexual intercourse something's wrong. This is God-given. It's supposed to be a time flowing out of the physical and spiritual connections that we really are one flesh. So we look at the marriage and what, what went wrong, and then we begin to fix it together. And that always involves the two people. Mm -hmm. If, as Julie says, and I come across as if a lady in particular or the man want, who was the victim of the sin wants to stay stuck in that and stay bitter, okay, then that is a sin in itself, and we have to deal with that. You're not allowed to do that. Whether there's repentance or not, you've got to move through this stage and truly forgive. And if there's issues in that person's life that prevent that, then we have to address those. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. David, you're describing kind of the typical scenario of a couple that drifts apart over time for one reason or another. But there are some situations where one is legitimately walking faithfully before the Lord, not perfectly, but there's something that happens. There might be abuse in the person's past that hasn't been dealt with. There could be addictions, mental illness. There could be a midlife crisis where the person just says, I'm done. Uh, how is that different? How do you work with helping the person who really is doing their best to walk before the Lord deal with that abandonment? 
Well, it's easier in a sense that they're, if they had a good connection as a couple and, and they were walking with the Lord, but something in this person's past was triggered and they, and they fell. King David, great example. Here's a man, no one closer to God than him, according to the old, a man after God's own heart. He made a, a series of poor, extremely poor choices and fell terribly. Well, but you see, when Nathan confronted him, complete brokenness. So if you have that complete brokenness, how could I? I, I this is horribly wrong. Now, we'll still follow the steps in my book, um, I think, in that first phase, but it goes a lot quicker and it goes a lot easier. It's still devastating for the other spouse, but that person is right on board typically. And so then, as part of the work, we still heal from the trauma, but then together, we will now look at some of the whys. What was in this person? Let's say it's the man. What was in your life that caused you to sin? Uh, past issues, we've healed now together on what happened. Now, together, we will now heal based on, on what caused this in your life. And that can be a very bonding experience. Mm -hmm. Still no excuse. And we're not going there, but we've healed. And I'm, I'm a big believer in having couples together, even in the individual process, if they're both agreeable, that can be powerful. Mm -hmm. And so my wife is now actually going to help me now that I've, I've helped her heal from my terrible mistake. Now together, she's going to help me heal so this doesn't happen again. That's strong. That's good. Mm -hmm. Dr. Clark, um, we've touched on this a little bit already, but uh, we've really keyed in on adultery and the impact it can have on a marriage and, and how to handle that. What are some other wrong responses to my needs not getting met in the marriage? What kinds of things do you see uh, either men or women gravitating to that can have a devastating impact? Uh, I'm thinking of pornography use, for instance, uh, that would require the same kind of approach that you've outlined here. Well, the first one is pornography. There's not an actual person, but as we know from Scripture, it's the same thing. God makes no distinctions, and it's a devastating thing, and it's at epidemic levels. Uh, studies done with the clergy indicate 40, 50, 60 percent of the clergy involved. Satan's winning that one, too. So that is a very common experience, and culture is making it so easy to access. It's in, beyond disgraceful. Mm -hmm. Let me just ask a follow-up question on that before you move on to other sin problems. There is a lot of confusion regarding pornography in terms of, is it adultery? Uh, with adultery, someone can have an affair, it stops, and it's done. With pornography, typically someone continues to struggle, even if they're repentant, because it's so accessible. And they might fall uh, once or twice in a couple months, even though they're getting help. And I think people are confused about, is that grounds for divorce? Does that mean I leave my spouse? Mm -hmm. Or do I battle with him or her through that? Uh, my reading of scripture is that an, a pornography problem would not be a reason, a biblical reason for divorce, unless it was a continuous lifestyle choice. If I say to you, I'm, I'm gonna continue to use pornography, I don't care what you think. Okay, then that might put it in that category. But beyond that, I want to make this clear to the folks listening. I never recommend divorce. I serve a powerful God, and I've seen him take the worst possible scenarios, and if people do the hard work and go through the steps, they're absolutely healed, completely restored, and there is no effect other than some of the natural consequences of the sin. They can have a better marriage. So I don't care what comes into my office or who reads my books. You can heal. If both people are, are in repentance and working together, the marriage can absolutely heal. So I just never recommend it. That's not my business. That's God's business anyway. With some people, I will say, if they, they always want to get my permission to divorce, I never give it. I say, I do not ever recommend divorce. But I have biblical reason. You can look in the Bible. I say, that's between you and the Lord. I suggest you think and you pray and you read the scripture and God will show you. I'm convinced that he will. And in almost every case I've had, he will show you no. He wants you to hang in there. Other cases, if there's ongoing lifestyle, then God may release you, but God better be the one to do that. 
That's not going to be my job. Dr. David Clark, author of the book, I Don't Love You Anymore. Uh, We have, in some ways, I feel like we've ripped a scab off. And as people are listening to this discussion, there may be some wounds. We need you to come back next time so we can talk about the healing process and how couples overcome uh, these great trials in their marriages. Can you do that? I'd be happy to. Let's Mm -hmm. do it. And uh, as Julie mentioned at the top of the program here, there are no cookie-cutter answers to these difficult questions. But, uh, Dr. Clark, we so appreciate uh, the biblical principles that you've brought to us to uh, apply to our own unique circumstances in every situation that we face. Our program today was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for listening in. I'm John Fuller. I'm sure you'll agree that Dr. Clark is very matter-of-fact about the response required when receiving those five dreaded words in a marriage. I don't love you anymore. What I do appreciate about Dr. Clark's approach is that he always advocates for marriages to be healed. He believes that God is a God of miracles and that with him, healing is truly possible. We'll hear more from Dr. Clark on tomorrow's program, so be sure to tune in for that. As we're hearing about ways to deal with the devastating news that your spouse wants to leave the marriage, we want to remind you that today is in fact the start of SA Marriage Week, where we give our listeners opportunities to receive daily for the week marriage tools and information to help your marriage thrive. It's a time to say, wake up, marriage is a great idea. And since a healthy marriage is a skill, let's learn some new skills to turn our marriages from good to very good. Go directly to samarriageweek.co.za or visit our website at safamily.co.za and you'll find the link. And please do look out for the recommended resource for this broadcast called Every Reason to Leave and Why We Chose to Stay Together. This book by Vicki Rose is a personal and detailed story of one couple's unbelievable marital journey. If you're in the black hole of marital despair, thinking about divorce and wondering if it's worth the effort to stay married, This book is for you. Find it on our website at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you to join us for the conclusion of our program with Dr. David Clark tomorrow when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.